This excellent medical student-led podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as medical advice under any circumstance. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Alert and Oriented podcast. This is episode 38. Yeah, it's been been a couple months since we recorded our last one here with Kevin and Kaushik, and we've got some fabulous discussions on today. How have you been, Kaushik? Been good, man. We were just talking about how this is one of our longer hiatuses that we've had on the podcast, and I'll be honest, I, I missed this chair a little bit. I missed you guys. It's good to be back. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, for me, yeah, all done with interviews and trying to think what else has happened. Last time I think I was talking about how I started reading Lord of the Rings and you were very doubtful that I would make much progress. It was a healthy well, health skepticism. I am actually yeah. way through the third book already. I love yeah. it. I love it. I've been listening to some of the audiobooks while we make more progress. So efficient <laughs> listening. Just like all of our listeners <laughs> are doing right now, listening to this podcast. I love it. It's yes. much, much more impressive than anything I could have done and anything I have done over the last two months. So I mm-hmm. applaud it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and let our discussants introduce themselves, some some great friends of ours. And yeah, excited to have you on. Hi, I'm Janet. I, are there other questions I should answer? Like, I'm from San Diego, Gemini, half a cat. Um, yeah, great to be here. Perfect. I don't think I can beat that intro. I'm Julia, fourth year at Feinberg from Pittsburgh and applying into internal medicine. Happy to be here. All right. So without further ado, we'll jump into the case and Kaushik will give us our one-liner. All right, my friends. So our patient case for today, we have a 66-year-old male who presents with leg swelling and bruise-like spots. And that is all the information that we're going to give you right now. So I think one of the main things that we like to focus on, and especially, you know, as M4 is something that we really try and get good at is getting a really broad chief complaint like this and trying to think about how to make it manageable. So thinking about buckets and frameworks and just different tools to use. So we have an older gentleman with leg swelling and bruise-like spots. What goes through your mind? What are you guys thinking about? I can start off. I think I think for like either one of these, we can put them into buckets. I don't know if they're entirely related. I think with like, I can start with the bruise-like spots. I think for buckets there, it could be like hematologic, infectious, malignancy, rheumatologic, those are kind of the first few things that are coming to my mind. Yeah, no, definitely I agree with that. And then maybe like if he's an older gentleman, we don't know much about him. I don't know like when it started, but like also adding trauma to a bucket as a bucket. For sure. And then I feel like for leg swelling, I, like if we're thinking like organ systems, I always think of like heart, liver, kidneys. Mm, great. I think it'll depend if it's like bilateral, unilateral, the timeline of it, it's pitting or not. Yeah, totally. So I feel like what I hear you guys doing just off the bat, which is awesome, is taking these two kind of seemingly disparate chief complaints. You know, we have leg swelling, we have bruise like spots. And before we try and find some sort of connection between them and trying to think about that differential, just thinking about each one individually, thinking about buckets and how to organize each one, and then kind of seeing where that common overlap lies, which I think it makes so much sense and is a great place to start. So I think everything you guys just listed off was fantastic. Yeah. All right. Is there, we'll give you some more history, but is there anything in specifically you like? Try to keep your ears out for any history. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely like curious about like past medical history, and uh, I think we mentioned it a couple times, like onset. How long has this been mm-hmm. going on for? Right. All right. So let's give you some more of the story. So for HPI, the patient noticed a bruise-like spot on his right foot just before the time of his transplant one year ago. Over the past year, he developed numerous lesions affecting the nose, lips, right ear arms, legs, abdomen, and back. He also knows swelling of his right leg and purple discoloration to both calves. 
The patient denies fevers, chills, night sweats, weight changes, lymphadenopathy, blood in the stool, or other mucosal bleeding. For past medical history, so he had ESRD secondary to autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. Now status post living donor kidney transplant one year ago. He had an episode of shingles five months ago. Also has history of hypertension, paroxysmal AFib, type two diabetes, hyperkinia, and BPH. We have a medication list here. So it's aspirin, atorvin, colocalciferol, dutasteride, furosemide, metformin, metoprolol succinate, tacrolimus, prednisone, mycophenolate, trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole, and valacyclovir. For notable family history, the patient and his parents were born and raised in the Midwestern United States. Both of the patient's grandmothers are from Italy. And for social history, there's no smoking, alcohol, or illicit drug use. So it's a, a big story, a lot of information to take in there, but what are you sort of thinking at this point? I feel like with this patient, since he's a transplant patient, like mm -hmm. I feel like everything is on the differential. Mm -hmm. I think like one of the biggest concerning things is some type of rejection. Mm -hmm. And he's also on a lot of immunosuppressants, so like increased risk for infection, normal malignancy. Mm -hmm. I think those are the things that really stood out to me at first. Yeah, and I think given the chronicity of things, I would think like more acute concerns, like, I don't know, I guess like any kind of trauma or any like acute mm -hmm. blood clots or those kinds of things seem a little less likely to me. I think also given his age group and then knowing the transplant, the things that Julia mentioned are moving further up my like differential and then more like rheumatologic or that kind of stuff is moving lower for me. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. And so, yeah, we started out thinking about the bruise-like spots and the swelling. We're thinking, are they related? Are they independent things? Seems like some of the history that you're honing in on are like his age, like his transplant history on immunosuppression. Those are like certainly risk factors for some of the things that you've mentioned. Yes. So if you were to like, sort of like list like handful things, specific diagnoses on your differential, what would you sort of put on there? I, maybe if we're keeping them separate, I mean, he has furosemide, so wondering if he has in like some cardiac history, so I'm wondering if there's like a touch of heart failure there. Mm -hmm. Looking at the spots, I, I feel like, I don't know, derm stuff is always kind of weird. I think it's interesting that you guys mentioned that he is born and raised in the Midwestern U.S. Maybe there's like some kind of exposures, especially with his immunosuppression. So kind mm -hmm. of thinking more infectious things. I'm trying to remember what Are those... Are the specific ones you're thinking maybe? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what they It's a hard question. Nathan, Nathan's not going to let you go on this one. <laughs> oh gosh, okay. I, I want to say blasto is one of the ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like fungal yeah. infection, yeah. cutaneous fungal infection. Right. And he's on Bactrim. So I feel like he's on some like protective right. medications. He's on some prophylaxis, yeah. But I think also since he has a bad kidney, like nephrotic syndrome kidneys are failing like that would mm -hmm. cause like swelling not so much the bruising probably but it could be a side effect of some type of rejection but i agree with janet i still feel like infection is very possible or malignancy as well mm -hmm. yeah great i think it's spot on with your reasoning right now so you know honing in on the key things still keeping a broad differential because there's a lot of things that could be going on here i think you're staying grounded with base rate common things being common is this part failure is this says kidney is kind of unifying explanation for leg swelling versus is this a case report and something more rare? I think you're right mm -hmm. to think it's the more common thing. So good job. Yeah. All right. So, you know, we did our chart review. We got the history. You're about to go see the patient. Going to examine him. What are some things you're going to be focusing on in physical exam? Yeah, I guess still 
kind of just working through the common things like starting off with the basics like cardiac exam is he volume overloaded and then I think it'll also be important to kind of see like what the lesions really look like and that'll hopefully help narrow down the differential so on yeah I agree I think characterizing his volume status will be important like looking at JVP to see if it could be cardiac and then characterizing the like swelling to see if it's like pitting how far up if it's unilateral bilateral and also the lesions as well all right, so we have our exam. Patrick, you want to run through this? Absolutely. Asking you shall receive. So for the first part of your physical exam findings, for his vital signs, he's afebrile, heart rate 69, respiratory rate 18, blood pressure is 140 over 80. He's sitting 95% on room air. Generally, he appears well, sitting comfortably, conversing. On HENT exam, his pupils are unremarkable. Extracular movements are intact, no scleral icterus, no evidence of any mucosal bleeding on your exam. For his neck exam, no cervical lymphadenopathy. His heart exam is unremarkable. Pulmonary exam, cleared auscultation, no wheezes or crackles that you observe. On abdominal exam, soft, non-tender, non-distended, no hepatosplenomegaly. And on your extremity exam, you do appreciate two plus bilateral lower extremity edema, right greater than left. And on his neuro exam, he is, drumroll please, alert and oriented. Yeah. Man, I love that yes. every time. <laughs> yes. And then you also add there's no JVD that you're asking about volume status. Mm -hmm. So now, Janet, you mentioned you want to see what the skin lesions look like. So we have some pictures here of the skin, and we want you to go ahead and take a crack at describing what you see on these skin lesions. Yeah, it looks like it's covering multiple surfaces. It is kind of like a dark, pinkish, purplish lesion. It's macular, and it seems to be more so on his legs and feet. I'm assuming you're not showing the arms because they're not there as much. Yeah. I'm so bad at skin, but I know like, <laughs> like describing any skin lesions is a like downfall, but is this, cause I feel like with purpura, it's always the purple, but I feel like those are more pinpoint, which could be up more on his like calves, but like the ones on his feet are like pretty large. So I would say that's also, yeah, like macular, papular. Mm -hmm. Kind of say macular with areas of confluence. Well, like coalescing together. It seems violaceous. Violaceous, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Great word. Yes. So like vascular. Yeah. Were they palpable? Palpable? No. Yes. So let me just go ahead and summarize the finding here for you and for the listeners. Uh, so skin exam is notable for numerous violaceous and erythematous patches, plaques, and papules scattered over the extremities, chest, back, right ear, and nose. All right, so based on this physical exam, what are you thinking? I feel like most of his exam was very benign besides like the leg swelling and then obviously the skin findings. So less likely like a liver or a heart mm -hmm. etiology mm -hmm. that we were talking about earlier. I mean, kidneys still is kind of hard to assess on exam, but I feel like I'm leaning away from those two that we like initially brought up with the first eloquat. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think it's also, I, I always like pay attention to the general part of the exam too, like seeing if he's sick or not sick. And it seems like overall he's doing pretty well. So I'm less concerned for like acute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, good so, point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that was a really wonderful point that you guys just brought up, especially when it comes to his volume exam and thinking about how that might relate to cardiac, hepatic, kidney pathology. You know, I feel like the adage that we always learn is, you know, every volume overloaded patient can look different and they can carry their volume in different ways. And so those are all things you need to look out for. And so each patient can always look unique. 
But I feel like you guys are just taking in all the information from the exam and using that to kind of hone in on, okay, you know, maybe this is still on the differential, but it just doesn't really feel right. And so that's kind of moving up and down. So now you're less concerned about an acute decompensation, you know, less likely a cardiac renal hepatic etiology and still kind of thinking really strongly about those infectious buckets. And so I feel like that makes perfect sense. Yeah. All right. So, you know, we've sort of narrowed differential somewhat, you know, sort of thinking heart and uh, uh, liver, maybe like kidney also is less likely at this point. So if you were to order some initial lab and studies, what would you be sending off? I think a good place to start would be like CBC, CMP, mm -hmm. starting off the basics. CBC, seeing if you know he has a white count, getting a differential for that as well would be helpful if it's like bacterial predominant or otherwise. I think also CMP would be helpful where it's, we were talking about maybe still considering like kidneys. He did have a recent transplant. So seeing how that's functioning would be important for us to know too. You know, I want to get a chest x-ray too, because I know we talked about blasto earlier. I think mm -hmm. he's not having any pulmonary findings, at least on the exam. So probably less likely. I think in terms of like an infectious workup, we can do our due diligence of getting like a blood culture. I probably want to get a CD4 to see HIV. I don't know, I guess maybe like hat panel. I think just kind of rolling out a lot of basic infections. Yeah. All right. Excellent thoughts. All right. Kaushik, you want to give us some of our initial workup? Yeah. Amazing. So we mentioned CBC and CMP to start. So white count was 5.1, hemoglobin 13.1, platelets 254. And then on his CMP, he had a sodium of 136, potassium 3.8, chloride 102, CO2 of 25, BUN 19, creatinine 1.26, glucose 106, calcium 9.7, albumin 4, ALT15, ASD20. His UA looked normal, and his EKG showed normal sinus rhythm with a left anterior fascicular block. And you had also mentioned chest x-ray. That was normal. Mm-hmm. So some initial labs that we're throwing at you guys. I know, Julia, you just mentioned some other more kind of advanced uh, lab studies that you would also want to look into. But just initially, what do you make of this initial workup? I think it's reassuring that his white count's normal, I know, because mm -hmm. we've been talking about infection, though it doesn't completely rule it out. But, you know, kind of reassuring from that standpoint. I think since he is a kidney transplant, like looking at his kidney function is super important. I'm not, I think I'd be interested to know what his baseline creatinine is to see if how his kidneys are working. I mean, it doesn't seem like, doesn't scream like infectious picture to me, just looking at what we have so far. Yeah, I will point out, so in terms of white count, so he's on immunosuppression. So he has like a low white count and for infections, you want to be kind of careful interpreting like a leukocytosis as like to be your big clue for infection because on immunosuppression they might not be mounting the same immune response but you know good to be like keyed, keyed into that but you're right yeah nothing else in this initial workup really like standing out pointing you in one direction or the other yeah it's like liver panel like that's fine so like we we're leaning away towards like liver causes i think we're probably still like leaning away from that based on these labs I think this kind of factors into a little bit of, Janet, what you mentioned a little bit ago, thinking about the sick versus not sick patient. You know, how acutely ill is this person? How immediately concerning is their initial lab workup? Is there, are there immediate steps we need to take? And so I feel like what you guys are touching on is that, you know, immediately right now, this patient isn't acutely decompensating. Initial lab workup is reassuring. We have a little bit of time here to kind of really think about what's going on with him. Yeah. Right. So we got initial workup. Um, my first question, and Julia, where you can just build on um, some of the stuff that you mentioned and Janet that you mentioned on the last slide as well. Um, what other what other workup steps do you guys want to do? Other things you want to look at? I'm trying to think. What did we already say? So we said hep panel, HIV, 
I'm trying to think. And kind of like, I don't know, Nathan was saying that the white blood count doesn't completely rule out infection. Like poultry, we said already. There's like, I know for kidney patients specifically, there's a certain virus that Birthing 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 no, yeah. yeah. Is it J? No, JK. JK. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I get there eventually. <laughs> yeah, VK virus. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. I feel like CMV, they might also be at risk. I could be wrong there. You could also do like f- urine, like fungal, like histoblasto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, kind of summarize, you got, I think we're really cluing, you know, like, you know, him being an immunosuppressed transplant patient. What are some things he maybe is at risk for? So, we talk about. HIV, we talked about, you mentioned DK virus, um, fungal infections. Yeah. I think herpes too. Herpes, what sort of herpes? Like, a- like HSV? Or H, yeah, I guess, or, I'm on, or H, uh, I don't know. The whole panel. A whole soul <laughs> herpes <laughs> panel. Love it. Okay. All right. Do you think, so on his presentation, it's kind of been like a chronically progressing thing. Any of these, like, you know, infectious things that we've talked about. Do any of those maybe think maybe would fit into like a long progressive picture? I guess like HIV and the fungal infections are more of the chronic progressives, mm-hmm. not like appearing acutely ill. Uh, whereas maybe like I think like hepatitis and herpes might be more acute. Okay. I don't know about BK virus. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So yeah, excellent thoughts. Love how you're thinking. All right. We have some more specific labs here. So tacrolimus level comes back at eight. That's within range. HIV test is negative. And kidney ultrasound shows patent renal transplant vasculature and no hydronephrosis. All right, what do you make of these labs? Yeah, I, I think we were talking about maybe being concerned about rejection earlier too, seeing that the kidneys look good and the CMP look good. That's reassuring against that. And then the HIV being negative, that kind of obviously takes that down from our differential list. And then it's good to see that the TACRA is within range. If it was under range, that would maybe raise my, under or over it, raise my suspicion for, you know, being more susceptible to infection. Yeah, absolutely, you guys. And, you know, there were also, you know, some other studies that you guys mentioned that we don't have up here on the slide. But now I think with a lot of the information that we've gotten together so far, a lot of the clinical reasoning that you guys have talked through in a really awesome way so far, Let's see if we can try and put a name to maybe one or two or three different things on your differential that that you have a higher suspicion of at this point, just based on all the information we have. So anything that kind of jumps to your mind, you mentioned some things moving up and down your list. I think at these sticky points in cases, it's I like to think of these problems with the most unusual finding and I focus my differential or process of creating a differential around that most unusual finding. So for this patient, what do you think that is? The skin lesions. Yeah. I still think infectious is up there. I mean, mm-hmm. We kind of rolled out HIV, but we talked about like fungal or some of the more obscure ones, like the BK virus. Um, I'm gonna add tuberculosis to that list because I feel like it can present so many mm-hmm. different ways. Yeah. So how do you, what can you do to help get some information about these skin findings? Consult derm. <laughs> well, what are they gonna do? <laughs> <Biopsy>. <laughs> They'll probably have a nicer <laughs> physical exam. And they're really good at using physical exam findings, description of lesions to formulate a differential diagnosis. So I think, you know, color will be helpful here and, you know, moving certain things up, the absence of other findings, like, do we think this is a vasculitis? Not really, right? Like there's no other rheumatologic-esque clinical picture here to say this is a vasculitic process. So I think physical exam would, will be really helpful in 
forming their differential. Yes, biopsy always tissues the issue here. I think it's a good rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tissues the issue. <laughs> Pearl from Kevin. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I guess definitely thinking on the right train here. Maybe it's going to probe a little bit more. So you mentioned the like you want to send a herpes panel. You know, so different types of like herpes viruses. Do any of the herpes viruses that you know of like would they maybe fit with like the presentation here? These sort of skin lesions. I don't think it would be HSV because those are more like vesicular, mm-hmm. like oral or genital lesions. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't remember a lot of the other classes, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Janet, can you help me out? It looks like there's like the HHV8 or... Okay. I don't know. HHV8? Yeah, I don't know. Dig deep here, Janet. You're doing doing so well. It's amazing. I see this picture (laughs) and violaceous. I remember there were violence in it. Wait, was there one that was like in the GI tract? Like, that they would have... I don't even know. I I just remember it was like in a greenhouse and it was... (laughs) I, okay, yeah. What a beautiful plug for Sketchy. It's for, it's for everybody listening right now. Yeah, I don't remember anything else but this picture, so I don't know if it's helping me that much right now. I feel like I remember one where there's like also similar lesions in like the GI tract, like the esophagus or in the one of the intestines, but I don't know if it's the same, and I don't know if it's what anyway related to this. Okay, but totally, as far as what you guys just mentioned already, you know, even thinking about uh, the herpes viruses, right? Which I think is a great learning point. You know, Julia, you mentioned HSV doesn't sound right because that will present with dermatologic findings, but it's not like what we see here in these images in this patient, you know, more vesicular, smaller, more erupted, things like that. And then, so now we're thinking maybe HHV that could maybe have something to do with these skin findings, not a hundred percent sure, but something that's on our radar, at least it sounds like. Yeah. All right. So we did some of those labs and here's what comes back. So HHV8 PCR comes back elevated. <laughs> yes, yes, great work, Janet. <laughs> and so punch biopsies of the skin lesions are performed by the derm team and sent to pathology. So HHV8, we've arrived here at this specific virus, human herpes virus eight. Any specific diagnosis that you can think of that's associated with this? Does it associate with the malignancy? With malignancy? What, which sort of malignancy? We're going to we're gonna ask you to put your money down here a little bit. Oh, I know it's one that's like for, I think it could be a transplant, but also like patients that are immunosuppressed. Mm-hmm. I'm blanking on the name of it. I think it's a type of, I don't know. It sounds like it might be a sarcoma, but I don't, I feel like it has huh? a name, but I cannot remember okay. it. Okay. All right. Janet, take two. I need you. I'm trying. Nathan and I are having way too much fun right now. <laughs> Watching a struggle. Yeah, we're right now. Let's see right now. Wait, Kaposi sarcoma. Kaposi sarcoma. So we're putting our money down on Kaposi sarcoma. I don't know. I couldn't explain what that means, but that sounds right. Sounds right? Yeah. Janet, do we have a consensus? I'm in. I'm in. All right. Okay. So let's put our biopsy results. And? So yes, biopsy shows Kaposi sarcoma, lymphangioma-like subtype. So, great work, guys. Got it. Yeah. And Julia, I remember, I think this was maybe Aliquot, you know, four or something where we, when you initially started mentioning HSV and then you said, you know, HH and then kind of stopped and we kind of circled around it. But I mean, this, this final diagnosis was something you guys were even kicking around from a couple Aliquots ago. So that was amazing. Yeah. It's kind of a lot of micro is escaped ways. So (laughs) I can never confidently say for sure. 
Yeah, all right. So a couple notes about this, and I have some teaching points about Kaposi sarcoma. So lymphangioma-like subtype, that's a histological subtype, which can occur in any of the four Kaposi sarcoma subtypes, which I'll talk about in a second. But this lymphangioma-like often is associated with lymphedema and soft tissue swelling. But I should also note that Kaposi sarcoma itself can lead to edema if the lesions are compressing blood or lymphatic vessels. So some teaching points about Kaposi sarcoma. So Kaposi sarcoma, it's a vascular tumor associated with the virus HHV8, human herpes virus 8. It was initially described in 1872 by the Austro-Hungarian dermatologist Moritz Kaposi. It is an AIDS-defining illness, but it's important to note that not all cases are associated with HIV. Um, so I mentioned there are different types. There's four different types of Kaposi sarcoma, each with distinct epidemiological and clinical characteristics. So first, there's a classic Kaposi sarcoma. This affects older adults, normally over age 60, especially men of Mediterranean and Central or Eastern European ancestry. It's a slow-growing type and primarily affects the lower extremities. Next, we have endemic Kaposi sarcoma. This uh, primarily affects children and young adult males in Africa. It has various cutaneous manifestations. Lymph node involvement is common. And in children especially, it's a more of an aggressive type. Then we have immunosuppression-related Kaposi's, sometimes referred to as iatrogenic Kaposi's. This mo most commonly occurs in solid organ transplant patients and most commonly affects the distal lower extremities but may be disseminated. And then lastly, we have the epidemic Kaposi sarcoma. This is the kind that's associated with HIV and AIDS patients. They can have like diffuse cutaneous involvement. So in this case, of these four types, which would you think is maybe the type associated here? I'm going to say immunosuppression-related Kaposi sarcoma. Yeah. Patient that's, that's a good thought. Actually, that was, uh, you know, what I was thinking initially, too. But actually, was determined this is a case of classic Kaposi sarcoma because of the lesions starting to develop prior to immunosuppression, mm -hmm. his age, and Mediterranean ancestry. Can you remember his grandmothers were both from Italy? But we think probably this was all exacerbated with transplant-related immunosuppression. So what happened here, actually, his immunosuppression medications were adjusted and his symptoms improved greatly. Yeah. Can the classic one appear elsewhere, though? Because it says, like, mostly in the leg. Yeah, mostly in the legs. Can appear in other places, but I'm wondering maybe if some of the immunosuppression-related stuff, maybe that's what led to diffuse involvement, potentially. Um, yeah. And so... Yeah, closing out with some like differential diagnosis for Kaposi. You guys mentioned like a lot of like things that you should be thinking about. With immunosuppressed patients, think about like basilary angiomatosis, a cutaneous fungal infection. Think about like soft tissue tumors like angiosarcoma and soft tissue lymphoma. And then especially when you have lesions like on the lower extremity, this can be confused with the uh, manifestations of peripheral vascular disease. So important to consider that. And then last thing for prognosis, this sort of like varied depending on the type. For classic type, usually is, is not fatal. Endemic type in childhood form is more aggressive, tends to be fatal, but the adult form is more similar to classic type. Immunosuppression type, this degree, depends on the degree of immunosuppression, like how able you are to adjust that regimen. And then for epidemic Kaposi's, you know, it varies, but survival is improved with like effective antiretroviral therapy. And in the US, overall five-year survival for Kaposi's is around 75%. So. Yeah, I actually had no idea there were these different types of Kaposi sarcoma. I generally just associated with like HIV patients. I think that's how we normally see it in the in the hospital. But you know, good to be aware there's actually different types, and you can have HIV negative cases. 
Yeah. Any concluding thoughts? I, I think my main takeaways are the word violations and <laughs> tissues the issue. <laughs> tissues the issue is will definitely be sticking with me <laughs> throughout residency. But I feel like for all these cases, it's always good to like go in with an open mind and keeping differential yeah. broad and not trying to like anchor on one specific yeah. diagnosis. I think it was a little bit harder maybe for us because. I don't know, my dermatologic background is very limited. So <laughs> I feel like it was kind of hard figuring out differentials for that specifically, but definitely a good learning case overall. Yeah, and you guys crushed it. You got it. Close sarcoma. All right, so that wraps up episode 38 of Alert and Oriented. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Julia and Janet for joining. And yeah, we'll catch you everyone in the next one. Thanks again for listening. Person, time, and place. We'll see you next time.